If you're in devoted, if you can just stay where you are for now. No one in devoted is to move just at the moment. I saw you, you're off like a rocket there. As soon as you saw me coming to preach, you all left. I'm going to take it personally. So you're not to move, you you stay just where you are. Um, My name's Paul, I'm one of the pastors of the church here and uh, it is uh, is, uh, great to be with you and it's great to be preaching the word of God. The reason I want you to stay is because just in a moment I'm going to ask Dave Williams just to come up and share a little bit about what he's up to and what he's been doing and I think you guys will find it particularly um, interesting. But before I do that, I just want to say that on Christmas morning we're going to be taking um, an offering and the offering is going towards famine relief in Kenya. Over the last 18 months there's been quite a severe drought there um, there hasn't, there hasn't been any rain. Now, a couple of months ago it did rain and they are hoping that in two to three months' time they will be able to harvest their own crops and, in a sense, feed themselves again. But they're, also, they're still short of funds and looking for money. And so we've got about 100 churches based in Kenya, New Frontiers have, and they have been deeply affected by the drought as well. Many of them um, are, are short on food, don't have water and Edward Barea who serves the churches there has done an outstanding job of not only serving the churches but also feeding hundreds and hundreds of people every day. And so we just felt that on Christmas morning it would be great to take an offering to support that work. And so if you could come prepared, think about it and that money will be going straight to New Frontiers at London. They will then send it directly over to Edward in Kenya and it will be spent on famine relief and actually providing facilities and things that are going to help them in the future. They're, bu- they're building sand dams and different ponds and things like that so when it does rain, the water can be collected and can be used for other droughts and other dry periods that they have in their climate. So can I just ask you to sort of engage with that, think about that. Next week, Saviour King, the offering or the collection is going towards Friends of the Conquest. So next week, Friends of the Conquest, the week after, which is Christmas morning, famine relief in Kenya. Dave Williams, as many of you will know, um, grew up in the church. Um, He went away to university in Wales. We won't hold that against him. Um, He's now, at the beginning of the year, he went up to Manchester to join a band and they're doing some amazing work um, with schools and in clubs and pubs and things like that. Dave's just going to tell us a little bit about what he's doing and then I want us to pray for him and the band tonight at the prayer meeting as well. We need a microphone. Yeah, there. Brilliant. So, uh, David, could you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Brilliant. Um, cool, could I have to start? Awesome. So, hi guys. I like the chairs. I haven't seen them before. They're brilliant. So, yeah, I play drums in a music ministry band um, called Malachi. Uh, we're a pop-punk band, which is upbeat, rocking and energetic. And um, it was formed in about September 07, um, with just a vision to spread the gospel. And I joined about 15 months ago. And as Paul said, at the start of the year, we moved up to Manchester. Um, the main reason we moved up to Manchester was to go full time and work alongside, um, if you go next slide please, um, we work alongside the Message Trust, if anyone has heard of them before, they used to help the Worldwide Message Tribe, they've had other bands since LZ7, some of you younger guys might know, and um, they do stuff um, in the toughest estates all across the country with Eden projects and stuff, and they do loads of work in prisons, and uh, we went up there to be a rock alternative to their schools band, um, and it's such an exciting thing to do. Um, it's a privilege to be able to get into schools. Um, about one in ten teenagers self-harms. Um, we, some of the schools that we go into in the States, um, most kids are sexually active by the time they're in double figures. And I think the first school we went into, 80% of kids came from schools where 
uh, like came, from, came from homes where the father wasn't around. And there's real privilege to be able to get into schools. Um, some of you might know a bit about me and my upbringing and my testimony over the last few years. But I get to go into schools and we take lessons, take assemblies. And in lessons, I get to share how, even though some of you might know, I don't have the best relationship with my, with my earthly father, um, but I have a perfect, loving father in heaven. Yes. And that's so exciting to be able to share, get to say that um, just like as a kid, uh, you might fall over and hurt yourself and you run to your parents and they'll put a plaster on you and make you better. I get to say that God made me better. He sorted out my back by, actually it was last year, Terry Bugger prayed for me and my leg grew and it sorted out my back. And I get to share that in schools lessons, which is brilliant. And we get to do a response at the end of the week um, when we play a show after school hours so we can talk about what we want, get to fully present the gospel. Um, the first school we went into had about 80% of the kids who turned up to this concert made commitments to Christ. The Holy Spirit came down, there's kids crying everywhere, just, it was amazing. I followed up that week by going to Soul Survivor with some of the kids. One of the utility team from the school came along, came to the Lord, had his thumbs that were broken heels as he, as he came back to the Lord, it was really exciting. The school on the left there is where Liz Delves works, went to her school recently, that's brilliant. Um, from that crowd, that's at a concert, 84 kids got saved. Um, so it's really exciting work. That's the main focus of what we do. We're really passionate about doing that. So we're an associate ministry of the message in Manchester, but we also do our own thing. Um, if you can have the next slide, please. Um, we do a few other things. Um, we also go all across the country, or we've basically got between, since I've been in the band, we've been between the Isle of Skye and Geneva. working. <laughs> so we're on the road a bit. Working with uh, church youth groups for evangelism and... Um, that, that involves lots of things. That is anything. We'll do anything to spread the gospel. We, we all suck at football, we, but we play a lot of football with kids. Um, um, handstand competitions, <laughs> but also, yeah, we'll do worship in the churches. We play um, gigs. Um, we work alongside young people. We get often put in host times, and that's a really great ministry in itself. In Geneva, we're put between two host times where there are five kids, none of whom are Christians, and by the end of the weekend, three of them were. Um, so we're... <laughs> We're quite into our evangelism. And um, the other week we had a, uh, a lad at a concert in Cambridge who had read the entire Bible and we prayed for him before the show. And he could feel spiritual things. He could feel good things and bad things but didn't realise that Christianity was for him. He was so knowledgeable, 16, and he was absolute genius. Um, and we prayed for him and he was like, yeah, I feel the good spirit thing but I'm not sure Christianity is for me. And then at the end of the gig he, he came up to one of the leaders and said, oh, Oh yeah, I became a Christian. I just needed to know that it was a relationship and not a religion. It's just a relationship with a loving father. It's all he needed. He read the entire Bible. But all he needed was a guy, because he only came to see us because we were a punk band and he liked the music. And yeah, he just needed that explained to him. So that was really cool. Um, we also um, feel it's kind of a, a responsibility and something that God's put on our hearts to not just work in the schools and, and with the churches, but we go into the secular as well to share exactly the same message. So we are in pubs and clubs and bars and we declare um, Jesus and our passion for him and what he's done in our lives from the stage. You're often the same stage as, you know, I think we did a gig in Swindon recently where the drummer of the headlining act had been fired that week because he didn't do enough drugs and fit in with their image. And from the same stage that evening, we're declaring that we're passionate about Jesus. We feel, so because not, not everyone's going to come to a church to see us, but we'll go to them We'll try and get on the TV channels and we try and get on the internet and just speak our message out rather than what the world would say. Um, and so we're really passionate about that. We're really passionate about intensifying that spiritually. 
and we feel like God's been kind of telling us we got comfortable by just declaring it on the stage. And now he wants to see healings in pubs and bars. He wants to see salvations in pubs and bars. He wants us to have words of knowledge for people, and we're really praying into that at the moment. So that's very exciting. We also run a lot of workshops up there. Um, so as a drummer, I teach a bit of drums. Um, just as a way of kind of, it's more kind of evangelism by osmosis almost, getting kids into a Christian environment, talk, being open about your faith, talking about your faith, and teaching them a practical skill. And often that can, um, cause there's a bunch of people like from the tribe and stuff who did all the break dancing they teach there, you get DJing, and I did a drum bit. And it's amazing how giving a practical skill along with a message of love can be really effective. And um, the girl up there, who I'm baptizing there, Beth, um, she had a real history of self-harm and stuff, and she, she somehow ended up doing work experience for, uh, she did a week at the message, but one and a half days with Malachi. And I had no idea what to do with a kid on work experience, because it was quite boring in the office. So I taught her drums, um, and it gave her a new sense of self-worth. And her relationship with God has come on brilliantly. She's doing amazing. She got baptized recently, and is now really evangelizing to her friends. So that's awesome. So that's, that's what we do. Um, I'll be at the prayer meeting later. I'll be at the back um, with a table saying about what I do as well. If you want to come ask me questions, it'd be great to talk to you um, more about stuff. Um, I'm, we're, all, we're all missionaries. We want 100% personal support. So if any of you is interested in um, supporting me in, financi- in finance or prayer and encouragement, that'd be brilliant to talk to you about that as well. And so, yeah, thank you very much. great to hear, isn't it, what David's doing and he's up with Jeremy and Anne in the church up there in Manchester, getting stuck in. It's actually brilliant. Devoted, you can now go. <laughs> and I have taken it personally. Um, brilliant. It's great as well. We've got six people from uh, Hastings who are over in Berlin with Nigel and Claire Dutton uh, this weekend. So they've been supporting them, which is absolutely brilliant. This is the last in the Preach series um, based out of the book of John. Uh, Jesus, incomparable or irrelevant. And we're going to be looking at the whole subject of miraculous provision. Does anyone fancy a bit of miraculous provision? Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought it might be a popular subject. Um, it's brilliant. So we're going, to, we're going to look at... Yeah, we're going to look at that subject. Let, we're, we're, let's see how it goes. Um, to set the context, Santino over the last couple of weeks has spoken about the crucifixion, he spoke about Jesus being crucified and then last Sunday he spoke about Jesus raised from the dead and how he appeared to John and Peter and how John was the disciple that Jesus loved and he could run faster than Peter, do you remember some of these things? Um, so, 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 So we're talking about that and all of that happened in Jerusalem. It all happened in the vicinity of Jerusalem, there or thereabouts. Well, in the meantime, before we get to the passage we're going to read, the disciples have decided to return to Galilee. They've headed 80 miles north up the road. It probably took them a few days to get there. And as we read this passage in John chapter 20 and going into John chapter 21, they've changed location. They've actually headed home because the disciples were actually not from Jerusalem, they were from Galilee. They were based around that area there. And so in the sense, after quite a traumatic time, you know, they've been through the highs of uh, the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, where, 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 they, 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 the, the, where Jesus comes in on a donkey and he gets a hero's welcome. Then only six days later, he's nailed to a cross. He's crucified 
on Good Friday. And then two days later they go through the whole um, uh, amazing and yet very confusing thing of Jesus being raised from the dead. Then he appears to the disciples, he appears to Thomas and then, then probably another week after that they're back in Galilee and they've decided to go fishing. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to uh, John chapter uh, 20, starting at verse 30, and we're going to read about 15, 16 verses, and then we're going to dive into what this passage is about. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which was James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many in the net, so, even, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead. Lord, I want to thank you for the truth contained in your word. Lord, I pray that as I preach this morning, would you help me to communicate clearly and effectively what is on your heart. I pray you'd empower me by your spirit. Lord, I pray for the miraculous this morning. Lord, we don't want to be a church that just talks about the miraculous. We, we want to be a church that lives with the miraculous. I thank you for that story from Sam and Claire over in Ghana. Lord, I pray for miracles today. I pray for your empowering presence to be with us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Right, just to start with, the reason I started in chapter 20... No? Yes! I did start in chapter 20, 
verse 30 and 31, is because the whole centre of John's Gospel is contained in those two verses. It explains the very reason why the Gospel was written. It says, these things were written down so that you would know that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that you would know that he is the Saviour of the world and that if you put faith in his name, you can share in his life. And so if you want an overview, if you want to understand why was this book, why was this letter, why was this Gospel ever written, it was written for that purpose. It was written so that people just like you and someone just like me can understand the truth contained within it, that there is a Saviour, there is a God, that he came down to to earth, God with flesh on, was born, as someone mentioned earlier, as a, a baby in a stable, we'll be hearing more about that next Sunday, lived life as a man, was crucified, He was murdered, he was killed, but he rose again victoriously three days later and that if we put faith in his name, we can have eternal life. That's that's the crux, that's the centrepiece of the Gospel. That is what it's written about. And actually, chapter 21 is in exactly the same vein. If you want to sort of say, why was chapter 21 written? It was written as proof that Jesus had risen from the dead. If you look at that last verse that we read, which is verse 14, it says this is now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples. The first time he appeared to um, uh, Peter and John, then later he appeared to all of the apostles in the room. Do you remember Thomas wasn't about? But then he appears to Thomas as well. He says, put your fingers in the nail marks. Put your hand in my side. If you want to know, this this isn't just a lookalike, a lookalikey. It was, it was Jesus, raised from the dead. He says, put your hand in my side to know it. And here again, we see Jesus appearing for the third time to his disciples. What proof of Christ's resurrection? Jesus has a barbecue with them on the beach. He sits down with them, they eat fish and bread together. He sat there with holes in his feet, holes in his hands and a, mark, a hole in his side. At the end of the breakfast, they had 153 large fish to sell at market. I wonder if in a couple of weeks, you know, if if you'd gone to the market a couple of weeks later, whether you'd have said, do do you remember when Peter and James and John came in with all these fish? Do you mean a visual proof? In the market, it would have been a story they would have known about. No one else caught much that night. But Peter, James and John, when they turned up, turned up late as usual, after they'd had breakfast, they they had so many fish, they couldn't carry them all. What proof? It was Jesus. It wasn't just that seven of them sat there and had breakfast together. There was actually sort of, there was was in a sense a monetary proof. They sold the fish probably. They had so many fish that day in Galilee, they didn't know what to do with them. Fish probably weren't worth very much, were they? Oh, another fish. Do you want two or three fish? Do you want two or three fish? It's, it was, it's proof that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. However, I think as well there's more there in this account for us than, than that. I think it's great, it's proof, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. But I think there's some other interesting things that we can learn. There's sort of four points that I will rattle through fairly quickly. And the first one we find in, is this in verse 3. He says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out 
got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They go fishing. Can you imagine it? I've, I've never been... Have any of you ever been fishing all night? Some of you fished all night? Did you catch anything? So, a little bit. You caught a bit. I, I can't think of... Personally, I, I get seasick as well. I can't think of anything worse than spending about eight hours in the pitch black, can't see anything in front of your face, with six big smelly men in a small boat with me, putting this really heavy wet net down into the water, you pull it up, no, there's nothing in it, so you put the net down, oh, it's nothing here, I'm going to move over here, we're going this row over here, can't see a jolly thing, what's going on? And just as light is beginning, you know, as the sun is beginning to rise, some smart person on the shore shouts out, have you caught anything? Can you imagine what response he would have got? I, I reckon personally the Bible's edited. <laughs> Did you catch anything? No. <laughs> That's what it says in the Bible. I wonder if there may have been a few other things said in there as well. But anyway, I imagine that they were really disappointed. There's nothing worse, is there, than putting loads and loads of effort in and catching nothing and achieving nothing. And as I thought a little bit about this, I sort of, you know, it it seems to me that disappointment is part of life, isn't it? This is a chirpy Christmas message. (laughs) It's not just part of life if you're not a Christian. I think it's part of life if you are a Christian. Disappointment. And, And don't forget, these were the mighty apostles. You know, in a few weeks' time... Peter and John would be praying for a man who who was unable to walk and in an instant he'd be standing on his feet. Peter was part of the crew here that later in a few weeks' time would be standing up preaching the most amazing gospel ever spoken. 3,000 people respond in one day. Wow. This this has got... And he fishes all night and catches not a thing. It is definitely not. And just... For, for those of you that, that gave, your lives, gave your lives to Christ last week, I just want to warn you, it, it certainly isn't come to Christ and all your problems will disappear. But the Bible is full of men and women who, when faced with disappointment, have battled through holding faith in the one hand and the Word of God in the other. And so, although we will face disappointment, all of us, in different situations and different circumstances, and I imagine there are many of you who are sat here today thinking, I am, actually, I'm just disappointed with life. I'm disappointed why this is as it is over here. I'm disappointed why this hasn't worked out as it should have done. We have many examples in the Bible of men and women who have battled through disappointment. Now, I reckon there's a couple of major impacts when we we are faced with disappointment. The first impact of disappointment is it attacks our faith. So when when you face disappointment, one of the first things it does is it questions the goodness of God. It questions God's promises. Can God be trusted? So when when we face disappointment, one of the first things, and it may be subtle, it won't be in the forefront of our minds, it will be, can I trust God? I'm facing this disappointment. I don't think I should be or I certainly don't want to be. It causes us to doubt or question God. But secondly, I think as well, disappointment also sucks energy out of us. 
Some of you are here today very, very weary and it's not because you're doing too much but it's because you're battling disappointment. I bet the energy level for those disciples after a night's unsuccessful fishing was not very high. But I bet after they pulled up those 153 fish, their energy levels were a whole different ballgame. Do you know what I mean? And I I just felt, I wanted to say this, I feel some of you just feel like you're bouncing along the bottom and, and, and by instinct you think it's just you're tired, you're worn out, you're doing too much. Whereas actually I wonder if actually it's not that, it's you're battling disappointment. You're battling with things that just haven't worked out as you hoped they would do. And what you need isn't actually in some ways more physical rest, what you need is to find your strength in God. You need to refocus, you need to come and freshly connect with Jesus Christ who is the author and perfecter of our faith. It says in Romans chapter 4, and these are some of my favourite verses, which is a completely different set to the last time I preached when I said they were my my favourite set of verses as well. It says this about Abraham. It says, Without weakening in his faith, faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. You see, God had promised Abraham he would be the father of many nations. He would be the father of thousands, of millions. And yet year after year after year went by without... Forget millions, forget hundreds, forget even a couple, Abraham and Sarah hadn't even had one child together the disappointment they must have faced and had to battle through. But it says this, yet Abraham, he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And I just want to encourage you, if you are battling with disappointment at the moment, I just want to encourage you to freshly focus on Jesus Christ again. You know, some of those words we heard in the worship about how much he loves you. He does. And how he is for you. Lord, I pray for fresh faith. Lord, I ask for those that are struggling with disappointment at the moment, that, that, that I just pray for gifts of faith even now, just to be birthed afresh in our heart, Lord, that although the outlook may look bleak, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that your grace can shine through and will shine through. It says in Romans where, it says in Romans where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Lord, and I thank you where disappointment increases. I thank you, Lord, grace can outshine. Grace can superabound. Lord, I ask you for a fresh vision of you, Jesus Christ, who equally faced disappointment on the way to the cross and through the cross and yet saw amazing victory and life at the, outs- at the, at the end of it all. Lord, I pray for us as well 
Lord God, that you would strengthen us in our faith at this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. And as a church, as we push into um, God's purposes, as we look into next year and all God is calling us to do, I think it is, it's part not just for us individually, but for us corporately as a church, we will face disappointments that we need to overcome. Let's, let's refocus on Jesus. The second thing I noticed just about this, um, this passage in John 21 is the whole sort of synergy or the, 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 the relationship between God's power and our strength. You'll, you'll see both things are, are, are highlighted in these verses. So if we look at verse 4 through to 6, it says, Early in the morning... So we already know um, that they caught nothing. Then it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered very politely. Jesus said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And what, what I guess caught my attention again as I was preparing for this earlier in the week is the whole mix of God's power and our strength and as God's people we have, there is a danger or a temptation we can fall into one or the other. We can not get the right synergy between the two. We can either err on the side that it is all God. And in some ways, as we're going to look in a minute, God is definitely a big player in this story and in the miraculous catch. But actually, if you notice, if you think about the story, the disciples didn't just, um, on the, in the evening, lay the nets out by the shore. I'm going to put them down on the beach, right by the shoreline, we're going to put all the nets out, I'm going to pray a bit, and then by morning, I'm sure all the fish will have jumped from the sea into the net, I can collect them up, and I'm going to turn up the market. Nor did Jesus just say, look, look, guys, you're in the boat, step back a bit, sit right to the edges, and I'm going to make the fish hop into the boat. Save you with the whole fishing malarkey. You've been doing it all night. You know, you must be tired. I'll get him to hop in. Jesus didn't do that, did he? You, you, you see... You see that the disciples had to put the boat out, they rowed into position, they let down the nets again and again, they pulled them up again and again, they changed position, they were seasoned fishermen. So, so they were involved in the task, but actually when it was just their strength on their own, they caught nothing. Jesus didn't just say, sit back, and I'll do all the work. But we also know, nor, nor did it work when they just put all the effort in themselves without Christ's direction. And I think there, is, there can be a danger for us that we can take one of two views. Either it's a bit more like the sit back, we lay the nets out on the shore and I'm sure the fish will jump into them. If I just pray hard enough, and, and it's not to remove, and I know I'm on sort of slightly dangerous, dangerous ground here, I'm not, I'm not sort of downplaying the sovereignty of God or anything like that in it all, but what I notice from Scripture is God loves to work with us. Yeah. That if we just rely on our effort and our works, no, probably they'd be pretty much unfruitful. But equally, we shouldn't just be sitting back thinking, well, God will be and do what he wants to do. 
that he loves to work with his people. That's the reason we're still here. If God had no intention of working with us, he might as well take us straight to glory. But we are still here. When, when Jesus first called the disciples, what did he say? He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I've got a job description, I've got a purpose for why you're here. There's a plan for what it's about. And so as we look to push into all the things God's got for us next year, it isn't as a let go and a let God, but no, we push in to what God is calling us to do. But we look to follow his promptings and we look to rely on his power to come up with the results. It's both ends. As we send community groups out, we don't send you out with an expectation that you've got it all that you need in, in yourselves. No, we send communities out into the community with an expectation that you will be backed up by God's power. That change will occur not just because you're trying really hard, but because you're keeping in step with what God wants you to do. In John 15 verse 5, And it's talking about the whole thing of the vine and the branches and Jesus says, look, I am the vine, you are the branches. What does it say in verse 5? It says this, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And I believe in some ways this story of, of the miraculous catch illustrates those verses. Peter, James and John, the seven of them, let the nets down. They obeyed God's direction. But it was in a sense, it was God's work. It was what God was doing and they caught a miraculous catch. It wasn't just God and it wasn't just the disciples, but it was, in a sense, if I can say, it's two working together. And I want to encourage you as we look into next year, what part has God got for you next year? What boat does he want you fishing in? Should you be with Retirement Plus? Should you be with Fresh or Bexhill Community Group? Where should you be? What part should you be playing? I imagine when that net was full, it was an awful lot heavier than when it was empty. I bet all seven of them were dragging it in. And I know that in church life and as we look to follow God and his promptings, we need all of you. Not, not, not just your effort on your own, we can't just do it on our own, but as we trust God, as we're filled with his spirit, as we keep in step with him, we will see miraculous catches next year as we keep in step with him. But for some of you, you might be just having a break at the moment, you may be new in, you're thinking, where do I plug in? We need you. We need you pulling at those nets. We need you out in those boats. We need you making a difference because God has uniquely gifted you to play a part that only you can play in this church. And if you're not doing it, there's a a space around the edge of one of those nets It's not going to get pulled in as effectively. We need you. We need you. Don't let disappointment rob you from putting the net down again. Don't let a night's unfruitful fishing put you off from going fishing again and trusting him again and going again. The, the next thing I just noticed, and this is, this is quite a, a, a short point, but, and it's one I refer to often, but I, I make no apologies for this. We see it in chapter 21, verses 7 to 13. We notice at the end of the day the disciples are following Jesus. 
It's about relationship. David shared it, didn't he, that young man? When he knew it was about relationship, I'm in. But I think sometimes for us, where we're so busy in church life, we can forget that it is about relationship. When Peter realised who was on the shore, he left the boat, he left the catch, he left the net which was about to break, he dived into the water, he swam for about 90 metres to get to the shore. Why? Because Jesus was there. It was maybe the biggest catch of his lifetime. Maybe it was the most successful fishing trip he had ever been in, but it paled into insignificance compared to another encounter with Jesus Christ. It it didn't, didn't even get close. For that young man David was talking about, oh, it's a relationship with Jesus, I get that now. But for some of you, and I know we, we, we're good at these things, but it's, it's good to remind you of some of these things again. Please don't forget. Don't get so caught up in the mission that we, you forget about who you're doing it for. You're doing it for Jesus. Friendship with Christ is the basis from which we operate. Real friendship Real Lord, a real plan for your life. We must never lose sight of the one we are doing it for. The one who deserves all the glory. The undisputed champion. It never lose a fight. Jesus Christ. And the same call rings out now, 2,000 years ago, sorry, sorry, now as 2,000 years ago, which is come, follow me. And I, I want to, uh, just, just really a reminder for you really, you're still following Jesus? You still love him? Still obeying his voice? You still know what it is to keep in step with the Spirit? You know what it is that, as you worship, to know a tangible sense of his presence in your life? It's about following Jesus. And again, as, as we follow God into this fresh season, this new season next year, you, you, we must never lose sight of who we're doing it for. must never lose sight of why we're doing it. That, that starting point, isn't it? It's that starting point is one a person at a time. For those two that responded to the gospel last week, that's absolutely wonderful. But actually, it was two individual encounters with Jesus. But it's the same for us now. And lastly, in 21 verse 11, Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. 
Some commentators wrote paragraphs on does the 153 stand for anything? No, it doesn't. That's just how many fish were in the net. But it was a lot of fish. It was a successful, I was going to say shopping trip. We may go shopping to get our fish, but they didn't. It was a successful fishing trip. A large number of large fish. What an amazing change. That word from Christ, that instruction from him, hours of fruitless fishing, but when they line up with God, they heard his voice, they put down the net on the other side of the boat, oh, what a pain. But as they started to pull it up, they felt the weight, they felt the tension. And by the way, the tension and the weight and the effort and the strain was much heavier when they were successful than when they were unsuccessful. Anyway, maybe it's God saying, Paul, just wrap it up now, come on. The, the weight was heavier when they were successful than when they were, they, were, they were unsuccessful. But it was an amazing change. It was a great catch. And as I read this and I thought, well, you know, different themes have come through. They've come through that whole sort of thing of well, well, disappointment and battling through disappointment and then the, the whole working together of our effort and God's power and the key thing of relationship. I think we can't get away from what I don't want us to miss from this passage is they were successful. That it was successful. That it was miraculous, the catch. And I just felt a sense, really, as I look back over the last 12 months, I think we've had a couple of miraculous catches. I think we've had a couple of miraculous catches this year. Maybe it's the one of the gift, you know, season of giving. I think that's been quite miraculous, some of the things that have happened. I think some of the change in the things we've seen in church over the last 12 months, which has been more gradual, but still nonetheless um, miraculous, as we've seen the grace of God at work. But I think as I look into next year, I think, Come church, we, I think we should be expectant of some miraculous catches next year. I think community groups, you should be expectant and praying and asking God for some miraculous catches. They're not every day, you don't get them every day, but we do get them, don't we? This wasn't how they fished every day, but there are miraculous catches quite common in the Bible that I think we should be seeking and expecting God for. And as a church, I think we should be looking into next year with an expectation of some miraculous fishing. Oh dear. Oh, get to my age, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> miraculous catches. Particularly community groups. If you're leading a community group here today, can you just stand up please? And if the leader isn't here as you look around could you stand up on their behalf? Brilliant. I, I think our community group should be expecting, you should be expecting some, some miraculous fishing next year. Amen? Lord, I ask you, would you stir faith? Lord, we, we ask you, Lord, you, say in, you said in Matthew that you give good gifts to your children. Lord, I, I pray for some miraculous fishing next year. 
Lord, I, I pray for some of these uh, 153 fish bulging next to the point where the community group thinks it's going to blow up. Lord, I pray for some seasons of real breakthrough. Lord, I ask you for deposits of faith in hearts this morning. Lord, I pray for, I, I ask you for healings in community groups next year. I pray, Lord, as they pray for people, as they minister and as they pray for people, I pray for healings next year. I pray for people to respond to the gospel next year in community groups. Lord, I I thank you for everything we've seen so far. We've gone fishing. But I pray for some miraculous catches under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Let's stand, church. Lord, what must it have been like, Lord? Such mixed, I'd imagine such mixed feelings. Eight eight hours of toil, eight hours of fruitless, waste of time, depressing work. In the dark, not a fish to be seen, not even a little one. And then, Lord, you, you turn up. And that, in some respects, it seems so daft. Put your nets down on the other side of the boat. And then, Lord, that, that feel as they start to pull on the net and feel there's something in it. It's, it's caught. There's something, something there. And as they struggle and toil to then bring the net in, but not not with feelings of depression and being downhearted, but amazing joy and celebration and absolutely overwhelmed. And then that realisation, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who spoke. It was Jesus who said these things. Lord, I, I pray for miraculous encounters. Lord, I pray for those in despair. I pray for miraculous encounters. Lord, I pray for us as a church. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for such faithfulness by you to us and such faithfulness within the church, Lord God, to you over, over many, many years. But I pray, Lord God, would next year be a year of miraculous encounter? Would it be a year where there are numbers of surprises where we'd say, God, if we'd been planning the year, or when we planned the year, we never expected these things to happen. Lord, I pray for miraculous healings and miracles. Lord, I pray for more people to respond to the Gospel. Lord, I ask you for more stories of transformed lives absolutely impacted and transformed by the wonder of your grace and your mercy. Oh God, I pray. 
Oh God, I pray, Lord, I'm hungry for more of that sort of stuff. Lord, as we come into this Christmas season, I even pray for next Sunday, Saviour King, I pray for miraculous encounters with you. People who come in just to sing a few carols and think a bit about baby Jesus, I pray miraculous encounters with you, Lord God. Oh Lord, we ask for that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. We'll close it there. Have a great afternoon. We are praying um, this evening, so do come and join us as we pray for Dave and the guys up in Manchester and Sam and Claire. If you would like prayer for healing this morning, just as we close, please come to the front. Um, I'd particularly like to invite Sam and Claire if you'd come and pray for those who are sick to be healed. But we call it a day there. We'll finish up. If you're visiting, do head to the welcome area. We'd love to chat with you. Um, Have a great afternoon and we'll see you later. Thanks very much.